Hey you, you're listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time. Jay Ferguson, Chris Murphy, Patrick Pellin, and Andrew Scott, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts. I'm Rob. This is Ken. Ken, how's it going, man? Doing well. I, I feel as though today especially we need some like podcast stage keyboard walkout music for, <laughs> for today's guest. Amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I, I just have a question for you, Ken. Have you ever had, have you ever been to a concert? Let's say you're seeing your favorite band. Have you had a fantasy that you can just walk up on stage and join the band? You're performing with them now. <laughs> you're in the band. Have you ever had that thought? Has that ever crossed your yeah, mind? I mean, I, I've sure. I've had the fantasy that my musical abilities accelerate to the point where <laughs> I'm able to just join a band. Uh, again and uh that you know for for right now at this point in time that sounds more like my nightmare but i i think i know where you're getting with this one yeah we've had that we've talked on the show about about my fantasy which is andrew goes for a 60 minute smoke break and i take over um but our our guest on this episode ladies and gentlemen who are listening uh lived the dream essentially he did that with uh with what we perceive to be the greatest band of all time uh he is he is sometimes known as cola wars sometimes known as goose uh we'd like to welcome to sloan cast mr gregory mcdonald gregory how are you sir i'm doing pretty good guys thanks for having me oh, uh, it's a, yep it's a pleasure sir this is great Right on. Yeah, what took you so long to ask? Jeez. Nope. Uh, no kidding. Well, hey, you know, uh, we've joked about you that You talked too. to Jay Coyle before me? Like, <laughs> good God. And you've had Hilliard on? Like, who's left? Well, we're like, trying to... Oh, trying I heard to... you got our bus driver from the Pretty from Pretty Together <laughs> tour. Like, I'm sure that guy had a lot to talk about. Well, it's like a set list. You know, you got to save your hits. You know, you got to pad the end of the show. That's yeah. right. Never open with a show closer. There you go. You know, you know. This the is the, the final game. episode, right? You're never. This, you're shutting it down after this. <laughs> the show is officially over. Yeah, this is. It. Yeah. So this tell is our, all. This is our so long and farewell. Yeah. Uh, right on, guys. Well, I'm glad yeah. to be here. This is fantastic, man. Yeah, like when we started this podcast, you know, t- to have any of the band members aware of it, let alone be guests, is just like a- an incredible dream. So thank you again. Um, but why don't we start at the start, if you don't mind? Maybe you could just help us uh, by filling us in with a little bit of background information, because this is the thing that is like such a treat for me to hear about. I don't know any of this, to be honest with you, and I assume maybe the listeners don't as well. So if you don't mind, maybe starting at the start, like where you were born, maybe some early life stuff, early musical memories, perhaps, how you got into playing and listening to music, that kind of thing. I can do that. I can do that. Um, okay, so we're gonna have a we're gonna have a character. His we're calling his name is Uncle Andrew, who looms large in my legend in my story. Mm-hmm. And Uncle Andrew was in Greece, and he came to America to work at the St. Louis World Fair in 1908. Mm-hmm. And he made a buddy there at the World Fair. This guy named Chris, and Chris and Andrew traveled around the states, ending up in Seattle. Um, and Andrew, uncle Andrew had three sisters, uh, back in Greece and he decided to bring the three sisters over from Greece to marry them off, to find them suitable husbands. And he made a promise to his sisters that if any of these marriages didn't last for any reason, that he would step in and take over and take care of them all. So, um, eventually Andrew and his three sisters made it to Vancouver and one of them married off a guy named James Kalangis who ended up to be my great grandfather. James Kalangis um, had six kids, uh, one boy and he had five sisters and that 
boy was George, who turned out to be my grandfather. But the, the joke is, immediately after the six children were born, um, James, the father of this family, dies. And Uncle Andrew came through on his promise and said, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to take care of my sister and her now six children with no dad. So mm-hmm. his solution was he went to the music store and bought up everything in the store that had strings on it and came home with like mandolins, cellos, violins, violas, and banjos and just handed them out to these six kids. And they're all 10 years old and under and said, figure it out. You're going to, you guys need to make some money and we're going to start a band. So they did. And they were pretty big back in their time. Like this was in the twenties and they, um, made a name for themselves as like a big band sort of gypsy jazz kind of swing band. And they, uh, they were pretty well known. Like I've got these amazing photos, like they had professional photos taken and Mm. they would play shows and go on tour and stuff. So like my grandfather from when he was 11 years old was on the road and he was winning all kinds of awards. He was a well-known mandolin player and he, uh, and all of my great aunts, all five of his sisters, and they were a pretty big deal. So they were on tour um, during the Depression. Like, they, that was the only way that they could make money. Mm. And they were discovered by a guy named Xavier Cougat, who I don't know how, how well you or your listeners are going to know uh, their gypsy jazz and <laughs> a big band swing repertoire. I promise this is going somewhere, but um, he... Um, um, they were on tour with this band. They just called themselves the musical Kalangis family. That's my mom's maiden name. Hmm. Um, and they're just kids. And then in, um, apparently the story goes in 1932, FDR was elected and made it really hard for, uh, foreign workers to keep their jobs in the States. So like they were on tour up and down the West coast. So they basically got kicked out and sent back home and had nothing. And they all moved in, um, to this tiny apartment that was above a Greek restaurant uh, in East Vancouver. But they went on and had all had successful careers in music. Two of my aunts went into the VSO, which is the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra here mm. in Vancouver. And um, George Kalangis, my, my grandfather, was uh, a big band leader. He played uh, at the Commodore. Rob, were you at the Commodore with us in Vancouver ever with your band? <sighs> No, I, I've I've played there, but yeah, not with Sloan, unfortunately. You've played the Commodore, okay? Ken, did you did you, did you were you in I've, Vancouver when I've we were there? Ne- I've never been to the venue. No, unfortunately, oh, okay. I know okay. it's the Holy Grail. Yeah, I've got amazing pictures of my grandpa George playing with his big band in the forties and fifties. He was the house band leader at the Commodore, um, and it's uh, like it's. It's so cool. And I didn't even really find that out until a little bit later. Um, he died before I was born, too, which sucks. I never got to meet him. Mm. Um, but anyway, my musical story, my my life really um, starts with George Kalangis, mm. uh, who's my mom's dad. And right. so when I play the Commodore, I'm always just so stoked. Like, you know, he his spirits in there somewhere. Like he played there every Sunday for years in the forties and fifties. Um, so I always get a little bit excited when, when I was sneaking in, you know, I would go see bands at the Commodore when I was a kid, like, 
was sneaking in to see Blur and Pavement and like Sepultura and Motorhead, like right. everybody that was. And you know, I had a beard since I was 13 years old, so I was always sneaking in. <laughs> Me and There's my brother, the Greek heritage like, again. Yeah, exactly. So all the music stuff that came from my mom, she's musical as well. And um, my dad, before I was born, bought a upright piano for my mom. As soon as I got the house, that was the first thing they did was they got the cat, then they got the piano, and then me and my brother came along. So there was a piano in my house from the minute I was born, and my mom made it clear that I was going to be taking piano lessons for as long as I could stand it. And uh, I hated it. I just, I cursed and swore and I fucking threw a fit. I just, I didn't want anything to do with it at the beginning. Like I just, but mom was just like, you, I'm not letting you give up on this. Like this is, you've got the music in you. She could tell like my brother Mm -hmm. didn't get it. He was more of a mechanic and he would hang out and fix cars with my dad. But me, I was at the piano all the time. So thanks to mom for um, making me stick through it. I, I stayed on the piano for about 10 years, did 10 years of like the Royal conservatory stuff, Mm -hmm. recitals and all that stuff. And then by the time I was in grade 10, I, I said, that's it. You know, Chicks don't like piano. I'm switching to guitar. I wanted a, all I wanted was a guitar, and I wanted to just rock out. So she said, "Okay, fine. You did ten years. That's good enough." And so I had a pretty good foundation, mm. and um, I think the piano you can really apply it to any other instrument. It really gives you a, a yeah. more rounded understanding, I think, of music. And um, she let me go and get a guitar and then the drums came and we set up in the basement and like i just i can't imagine the shit that my poor parents had to listen to Mm. and put up with but like it was just brutal like we're just brutal like i was teaching myself guitar and we were me and my high school buddies teaching ourselves drums and uh we sucked so bad i mean i'm still not that good but um i can get by so yeah it all really was because of my mom and, uh, you know, she and my dad, like the support they gave me, um, really was, was, was crazy and unbelievable. And they were so patient with me and I made such a racket and, um, they must've just been looking at each other saying, what have we done? How have we allowed this to happen? But, uh, you know, I bought a drum kit, a shitty little sparkle gold kit, um, off of a dude in my high school for $10 and we would just sit in the basement and bash it out and bash it out. And then finally, um, I ended up even, I played that drum kit on, uh, on follow the leader yeah. on the first song oh. on uh, the double cross. Awesome. Well, there it is. So I, I, I kept, you've an- I kept you've already that answered stuff. my 12th question, I think here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. That, I said I was going to keep that short, but, um, no, this is fantastic, man. I love it. Okay. So I guess, um, let me, so I got up to grade 10. So grade 10, 1991, basically everything changed for me because, uh, I was in high school and up until that point, like my mom's a huge music fan, like just an absolute, she's, you know, she's like us. She's an, a freak. She saw the Beatles mm-hmm. in 1964 in Vancouver. Wow. She was 14 years old. Yeah. She, um, she's obsessed with the Beatles. So I was too, of course. And, Mom taught me how to sing and taught me how to sing a harmony and 
what that means and and like we'd be driving around in the car with, with the Beatles on the radio and she'd say okay you switch to the high part and and I <laughs> god I'm gonna cry oh, was, buddy. I have such fun <laughs> memories and and uh she uh really uh just spoke the language and she all of my aunts uh were so musical we'd have big parties going to her place on Christmas Eve and my aunts would all be sitting at the piano and everyone's smoking in the house and drinking and, and just bashing out. I don't even remember what they were playing, but we were like from a very young age, I think I was exposed to a lot of cigarette smoke and uh, a lot of piano playing. So it was sort of obvious, you know, where I was, where I was headed. So anyway, up until I was in grade eight, all of the musical influences I had were my mom. So that meant Mm. Beatles and Gordon Lightfoot, and that's about uh-huh. it. <laughs> and like you know, we had like Abba Gold, and um, what else would we listen to around the house? Like it was pretty steady diet of Beatles um, and Lightfoot. And then I have I had an older brother who um, was a real diehard metalhead, so I was literally listening to like half Beatles and half Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> Up until basically 1991 when Nirvana came out and I was in my bedroom and back when much music played music videos, my, the video for Smells Like Teen Spirit came on and I remember Ian called me down to the living room from the other end of the house and he said, you got to come see this. And I just stood there and I was like, oh shit, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing and what I was hearing and I just became obsessed with Nirvana and that was it, like I never wanted to touch piano again. All I wanted to do was get a guitar and like a crappy cardigan sweater and right. just sit in my bedroom and play Smells Like Teen Spirit over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> so that was sort of the next level. The first time that I was starting to get into music that I didn't learn about from my mom or from my older brother, which was, mm. I loved it. You know, I was into you know slayer and anthrax and metallica and megadeth and sepultura we would go see all these bands when we could and like we went and saw like white zombie and you know like it, it was it was awesome but uh nirvana i guess was sort of the first time that i was starting to listen to music on my own that my mom and to a lesser extent my brother just weren't as interested in so hmm. then I started listening to CITR, which was a local, the UBC radio station. And um, they started, you know, I was like, oh my God, there's all this other weird music out there. And they would play a lot of bands from Halifax and stuff. Um, And then finally, I guess it was 90, I guess I was in grade 10 in high school. And my best friend in high school is a, a guy named Jamie Arner, who... I guess goes by Jay Arner professionally to this day. He's uh, a really awesome singer, songwriter, producer, recording engineer guy all in one. He was, I looked up to Jay. I still do. He, he was always ahead of the curve and knew what was cool. I basically looked to Jay. I said, Jay, what's cool? And he told me about Gotta by Voices and like Primus. And, you know, this was 1994. But he had Sloan twice removed on a on a CD, and he had a disc man. He sat behind me in my math 
class. I think he was in grade nine because he's smarter than me. So he was a year <laughs> ahead and I was in math 10, but he said, listen to this. And I'm pretty sure it was people of the sky. He put it on the little earbuds and I listened to it mm. and I was like, Oh, okay. This is, uh, this is my new favorite band. Like I was just immediately hooked right there. Yeah, so yeah. me and Jay started a band, pretty terrible little band, but you know, we bought like a four track and we would sit in the basement and try and figure it all out. And, um, Jay was always better at writing songs than me and I, I, I never was. So when he wasn't around, I still wanted to practice my recording chops. So I would sit and record Sloan songs cause I wanted to pick them right. apart and figure out, um, you know, how songs went together and like, how do you record drums? Like, what do you, how do you, what do you do once you have the drums recorded? Like, you know, if you actually try to pick apart, it's just practice, you know, like I didn't have my own material yet. I, I mean, I still don't, I can't write songs really, but, um, I wanted to practice the art, I guess, of recording. So somewhere yeah. out there, there is a full, there's basically a full cover to cover version of one chord to another that I did all by myself. I was myself. just going to say, oh, are, do, do these four tracks exist? And if they do, <laughs> what are you, what are you waiting for? Forget it. No. Um, most of them are lost. Right. Um, I think I know of where there is one tape that has Junior Panthers and um, G Trinity and A Side Winds because I had the piano, so I was I was excited to do that one. But um, they're they're just terrible. I mean, <laughs> they're pretty hilarious. I think I put some of them on SoundCloud, but. Um, I, I, they might be private. I don't know if I'm ready for the world to hear them yet. I've played them for the guys and they're just like, geez, you <laughs> nerd. And I was like, well, I just, I was just learning, you know, I, was, I wanted to figure yeah. out what I was doing. Um, okay. So what was your question? <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, was the, was the band with Jay your first band sort of officially? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like we put an ad in the paper, like we were looking for a drummer because hmm. Jay and I Jay's a great drummer now but back then we we just didn't know what we were doing so yeah I mean I had a we had a band like um, once we were out of high school you know and like I bought a van and we would start going to practice like rental practice spaces and stuff like we um, I put an ad in the paper I think I said we were looking for two guys and uh, one guy wrote back, his name was Jeremy Bidnall, uh, who's a great guy. Um, we're still friends. You know, we're, this is now, I guess this is 1996. Mm -hmm. um, because I think we entered a battle of the bands, either 96 or 97. Um, and Jay, uh, Jeremy brought along his friend, Andrew Ockleshaw, who was the drummer. He's a good drummer and he had his own Ludwig kit, so he was in. And he had a van, so he was extra in. Um, and the four of us, you know, we 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 played some shows. Like we played, uh, sort of like the, you know, like the Niagara Hotel. Like none of you, none of your listeners will know who these places are, but like they'd have <laughs> sort of the Tuesday night. You didn't really need a booking agent. Like mm -hmm. you could just kind of phone them and be like, "Can we play next Tuesday?" And they'd be like, "Oh, sure." Then, you know, there's five other bands, and there's nobody there, but. Um, you know, we, we did play, some, we made posters and stuff like we, nobody gave a shit or knew who we were, but we were playing like 
playing in bars, like we're still mm. all underage for sure. Like if it was 97, I was still only probably 18. And Jay was even younger than me. But uh, like I said, I had a beard, so nobody really looked twice. Back then, <laughs> nobody gave a shit either. And you could still smoke yeah. in bars. And like you'd have to plan what you were going to wear because your clothes would smell so bad the next day that you – like the cigarettes. I just can't believe we put up with that for that long. But um, mm. me and Jay and Jeremy and Andrew, we for a couple years, we were we were called the solution to the problem. And then – we changed our name to Team Strike Force. <laughs> uh, and like we made t shirts and stuff. And like we might have even had like a GeoCities website. Jamie Arner was in charge <laughs> of all that stuff. Dang. Yes. And we, we harassed a local guy who worked for House of Blues, um, which turned into Universal Concerts, which is now part of Live Nation, I think, or just is Live Nation. Sloan was coming to town and we were like, we just hounded this guy, Dave. Poor Dave. Dave Fortune is his name. He's still in the biz. He's he's an awesome guy. Um, I think we even I think we bought him like a hundred dollar bottle of scotch one day and took it down to his office and we're just like, let us open for slow, please. <laughs> and he he played hockey with Jeremy and uh, he humored us. He was like, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, sure, uh, yeah. And it never happened, of course. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't. Nobody in their right mind would put us on a real bill. Like we were just playing local with local terrible bands and we're just idiots and we just tried to drink as much as we could and and uh just do what we thought rock stars would do and little did we know we were it was just we were just so dumb but (laughs) we had we had pretty cool songs and we you know 20 people would maybe come and see us and we'd play with other bands like we'd play god team strike force and we'd play with like pepper sands and dirt mitts and you know and the saltines you know like we'd have a little tiny scene there for a little while and just learning how to do it and how to you know put the gear in the van and oh don't leave the gear don't somebody's got to stay with the van you know like nobody told me that stuff we had to figure that out um quick side trivia jeremy bidnall um who started that band with me and jay he went on to marry a nice gal by the name of Amanda Braden, who was in Plumtree, mm-hmm. who you guys should know if you're, of course, if you've yeah. done your Sloan research. Yep. Um, and he is a finishing carpenter. He lives out in the valley with Amanda and their two kids. Um, I haven't talked to Andrew Ockleshaw in a long time, but uh, he's a he's a carpenter type character as well. I don't think either of them really stuck with the full time music thing. Right. Um, and then I dicked around in a bunch of other Vancouver bands. Uh, I was playing in the Saltines for a little while who, um, some of your more hardcore Canadian indie rock music fans might've heard of a guy named Scott Walker and uh, a girl named Megan Bradfield, who, mm. uh, I was engaged to at one point. <laughs> um, and then she now is in Limlifter with, a guy named Ryan Dahl, who mm. I believe she maybe started dating while we were still dating. I'm not too sure about that. We never really cleared that up. <laughs> um, but they're still together, and uh, I'm very happy and for both of them, and they're two of my best friends. Um, and I was in another cool band called Bossa Nova. Um, really cool band. Uh, just playing live. The recordings are all really done by one guy, this guy named Chris Storrow, who is... 
just incredible Burt Bacharach style Baroque pop songs. This guy's he's he's the he's incredible. If you ever get a chance, you guys should all okay. check out Bossa Nova. He's got one or two records on Spotify, uh, and he just put out another record under his own name called Chris Storo. It's called The Ocean's Door. It's amazing. I play and sing a little bit on a couple of those records, and um, um, worth checking out for sure. Big fan. Uh, I joined another band called The Pepper Sands, who I mentioned earlier. Right. And that's where I got sort of my real um, touring university. Like, we tour, like we did real tours, and we, mm. we went across Canada a few times and, and um, all up and down BC, West Coast, and... Um, like we did lots of, we played the Commodore a bunch. Like we opened for bands like 5440 and, mm-hmm. um, Powderfinger, some Australian <laughs> band, oh, yeah. um, like Matthew Good band and Sleater Kinney. And, um, we toured opening for Concrete Blonde, which was actually pretty fun. Awesome. We did, um, like played with the Watchmen. Actually, I should, I should hop off on that. That's how I really the Sloan story starts. Okay, um, which I guess maybe we should get into. Yeah, um, let's do it. I was actually <laughs> going to say just as a precursor to that, because um, I know I've seen the photo, the, the photos that you've posted. Certainly, if anybody's following you on Instagram, you've they've seen the photos of you at HMV. I want to say this has got to be ninety six, ninety seven, where you would have perhaps yeah. gone and met them. And I was going to ask if that was maybe the first time you met them. That was um, like they were doing a press tour for One Chord, mm. and they were only playing like record stores. It was, they had, they had already broken up. So I, I, I was late. Yeah. I keep, yeah, we should be talking about Sloan. Not, not, not me. Um, No, no, they're one in the same. This is great. This is the Gregory McDonald episode. I guess so. Through my lens. So, uh, I kind of came late. I didn't know smeared. And like Mm -hmm. I said, Jay Arner showed me, um, twice removed and I was hooked. Um, and I went back and listened to smeared after I'd, I've uh, gotten to know it, so I moved it, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, under, yeah, underwhelmed. It's, yeah, uh, okay. I, st- I, I still don't really, I don't think I can name all the songs on Smeared. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like Lemon Singer, Raspberry, Left of Center, Two Seater, What's There to Decide. You only That's need to know Two Seater. Yeah, sure. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, yeah, just, I don't know. I, just, I was like, yeah, it's fine. I, but I really like Twice Removed. And um, and then they broke up. And I was like, well, fuck. Okay, I guess, I'm, I guess I'll check out Thrush Hermit. You know, like, I guess, uh, I guess I'll give Eric Strip another chance. But then, uh, who are great. I love Eric Strip. So Sloan was back with one chord. And, of course, you know, we saw the video. And the Good and Everyone video, I was just like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So mm-hmm. they didn't as... I I wasn't um, I I don't know anyway the first time I saw them was that HMV on Robson Street yeah Vancouver 1996 October 96 um, I was hanging out at my buddy Chris's house he had a lot of musical gear and his dad was musical so we hung out at Chris's house a lot and we'd jam and stuff and he he showed me the flyer it was like this black and white photocopied flyer that they'd handed out and I was like oh my god I didn't even really put it together that they were really back together yet. But, um, so we went down, I was my, my girlfriend, my high school girlfriend, Dana green, who's incredible. She was so much cooler than me. And she listened to CITR and she knew like who Hayden was, you know? And I was like, what? Like, uh, you're so cool. And, 
Um, so we went and Jay Arner went and uh, actually that I have a I have a micro cassette pocket bootleg recording from that Um, Mm -hmm. because I used to take that with me I used to sneak it into shows like you know those tiny Phillips mini mini cassettes so I have that somewhere in a box under my bed I should probably dig that out Um, and it's funny they had huge problems with the monitors right at the beginning the first song was nothing left to make me want to stay and the monitors were just going like (coughs) and completely cutting out and um, Jamie and I were standing right in the front and um, Chris was joking. He's like, oh, my God, like this mic sucks. And Jamie had a SM57 in his backpack. And he's like, here, Chris, try this. So I have this awesome picture of Jay handing Chris a mic like Ooh. from the crowd. And Chris is kind of laughing his ass off. And, <laughs> of course, it wasn't the uh, microphone that was the problem. It was, I'm sure it was a cable or something. But um, right. the gesture was. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cute. Like me and Jay are teenagers and uh you know this is 96 like chris is probably still 20 28 or Mm. 20 29 at the time anyway they they eventually played and it was it was great so i have a shitload of photos that i took that day um including one of me and chris and i've got like a ponytail and a goatee and i'm wearing a mud honey t-shirt and i'm sure i'm wearing corduroy pants like i just uh look like such a fucking dork um (laughs) but they're so sweet and they had tons of time for me and all of my stupid questions and um uh that was definitely the first time we met but uh i don't think they remembered me um for very long after that until uh many years later when we would meet again um so yeah so that was 96 from 96 to 06 then was me playing in bands in Vancouver um keeping pretty busy like um I would play drums in a few bands that there was always a call for drummers um played uh, in a band with a a gal named Carolyn Mark who is based out of Victoria who I love Carolyn like crazy she's just so hilarious so smart her lyrics are amazing. She, she can just say the, the coolest story, you know, you've ever heard. And, um, I played drums in her band. She put up with my drumming, uh, for a, a few years. Um, I got the gig cause my roommate was a guy named Paul Rigby. Um, and he was her bass player and I overheard Paul talking to Carolyn on the phone one day and, he said, oh, we need to find a drummer. And I was thinking of those gold sparkle drums again um, <laughs> that that uh, did finally make it onto the double cross. But uh, they were in my parents' basement at the time, and they were just in pieces. And I had to borrow a drum kit, and I had to – I had given my van to my dad, and it was dying. And he – I had to borrow it back from him, but he made me promise I wouldn't take it on the highway because I wouldn't make it. But I did <laughs> – and it didn't make it. And I, the first gig was like way up in the Okanagan somewhere. It's like a three hour drive through the, mm. through the coastal mountains and van exploded. And it, it was a whole fiasco. And the, my dad was very unimpressed. Um, but yeah, I was playing drums with Carolyn. I was playing drums with a guy named big John Bates and the voodoo dolls who were doing like this kind of psychobilly 
rock and roll burlesque thing where we had these dancing girls on the tour with us and they would like breathe fire and wore like um like grass skirts and stuff like that and coconut bras and it was very exciting we toured in germany a little bit and um nice. scandinavia and and all over the states um and that was really fun too so i i was keeping busy um playing music for a good 10 years there while I was living in Vancouver. Hmm. And then, um, I guess to, to, uh, the real way that the Sloan story started was I was on tour with this band called Pepper Sands. I was playing guitar mostly, hmm. but some keys. And we were on tour in BC and Alberta opening for a band called the Watchmen. Hmm. And the Watchmen had, uh, I believe they'd hired a sound guy by the name of Big Ben Richardson. And um, Big Ben's uh, an excellent sound man and musician to boot. Um, he brought along his buddy, Nick, to be their guitar tech. Um, but Nick is not a guitar tech, I found out quite quickly. We had played, we were setting up for our first show, which was at this terrible nightclub in Calgary called Cowboys, which was the kind of place where if you signed a contract to work there for a year, the bar would pay for your breast implants for the staff. Like this place was just awful. And we loaded in our gear and I was just like, oh my God, this is going to be a, the, I, I just know the kind of crowd that's going to come to this, but mm. didn't matter. Um, the watchmen were having all this trouble setting up their gear and um they're if we you know we're keen we're like we're the opening band like we need our sound check and like we'd set up all our gear on the dance floor and we're patiently waiting and they're taking forever and um finally the we figured out that their wah pedal for the guitar player isn't working and poor nick who's i guess doing this gig as a favor for his buddy i, I don't know but he mm. he's not um He's not a guitar tech, but I was working at a guitar store at the time and I had fixed a few wall pedals. So I finally walked over and I was like, Hey man, is, do you think I could, do you guys need a hand or something? And Nick was like, please fix this wall pedal. So I did in like two seconds. It was a common, but very simple problem. And, um, Nick was like, thank you so much. And we instantly just hit it off. We're like, Oh my God, this is great. We got a buddy. And, um, we did this whole tour and, by the end of the tour, we were hanging out quite a bit with Nick, and he we were getting along great, and he's a fun guy and a good guy and super musical. And, um, you know, that tour was maybe a week, and then we just sort of went our separate ways at the end, and everybody went home, and I didn't think much more of it. And then hmm. that was probably 2002, I'm going to say. And then fast forward to maybe the summer of 03, I think it must have been, my band Pepper Sands um, gets added to a festival in Kelowna, which is like in the Okanagan of BC. It's like, uh, there's lots of lakes and it's sort of like a, it's a bit of a party town, Kelowna, lots of like uh, wakeboarding and like, you know, mm. water skiing and stuff like that. So we're playing at this wakeboarding festival and Sloan is on the bill and um, Sam Roberts and Gob and 5440 and all these other bands. And it turned out to be a pretty rad little um, party. And I'm walking around and I bump into Nick again. And I'm like, 
Hey, Nick, how's it going? Holy shit, man. Haven't seen you since that Watchmen tour. You know, we might have even been actually, no, at that point, I don't think we we decided to keep in touch yet. But we're like, you know, oh, my God, it's so cool to see you. Wow. Um, how are things going? What's been what have you been doing? Um, that was a fun tour. We had a blast, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, well, I'm doing sound for Sloan. And I was like, shut the fuck up. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've been working with the guys for a while now. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that's so cool. I really like that band. And um, we should, like, hang out. And he's like, yeah, for sure. We're all staying at the same hotel. And um, it was just it was just awesome. So um, I think my band and Sam Roberts played the first night and then it was Sloan the second night. But um, at the end of the festival, we all ended up at uh, – we were all staying in the same hotel. And there's like one bar across the street from the hotel. It was like this Irish pub. And there's like this sort of unofficial rap party. And everyone's hanging out there. All the bands are there. Yeah. And But most of the bands aren't from BC. They're um, – uh, like 5440 was, I guess Gob was, but like Sloan and Sam Roberts, they're obviously from Toronto and Montreal, I guess. So mm. um, I sort of knew a lot of people there just from, just from the BC kind of scene and including this, this little jazz trio that was playing on the stage at this pub where all the bands were hanging out at the end of the festival. Um, I recognized them from this guitar store that I used to work at and uh, we're all just sort of milling around and I decided I had the great, idea. I was going to buy Sloan a round of beers. Like just, <laughs> I was just like being a goof. And so I walked over to Nick with like eight Coronas or something. And Nick was like, they're, they're not going to want that. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, Chris and Jay don't even drink. And like, just I'll take them. I think so. <laughs> like basically me and Nick, maybe Andrew and Patrick got one, but, uh, hmm. uh, it didn't really, uh, didn't really pan out as I maybe hoped it would. So eventually this, this band that's on stage comes over to say hi. And they're like, Hey, I noticed you were talking to the Sloan guys. Why don't you get them up to play some music? And I'm like, okay, like I don't actually know them at all, but sure. Like I probably had a few beers and was feeling pretty confident. And plus I had the Nick connection so I went over to Nick and I was like, Nick, what do you think, man? Could we get Sloan going to get up and play? And I'm thinking like, no fucking way. But Nick was just mm. like, totally. Yeah, they'd be game for that. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. So the band gets off. And next thing I know, it's me and Chris and I guess all of us. Jeez. Oh, and Nick, we're standing there and we're like, we're going to get up and play. And you're get, and I was like, what do you like? OK, what do what do we do? And Chris was like, well, um, what's cool? And I was like, why don't we go and play a bunch of songs by the band? And because I right. think I had, must have just done a Carolyn Mark tour or something. And we were all I was all stoked on the band. And Chris was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like the band, <laughs> the band is not cool. And I'm like yeah okay what would you suggest and he's like let's go Fleetwood Mac everyone likes Fleetwood Mac so I was like okay fine so I think Nick got on the drums and Patrick and Jay picked up some guitars but th this jazz band has um, th they had a double bass like mm -hmm. a like a stand up mm -hmm. bass cool. so I was like Chris you better pick that thing up and he was like I'm not fucking touching that <laughs> so 
luckily, um, who I mentioned earlier, Megan Bradfield, who I was engaged to at the time, she is a double bass teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually had shown me a thing or two. So I was like, I'll fucking do it. I'm going to, I'll play double bass. Yeah, you got it. Watch this. So that's how I sort of weaseled my way in because there was this double bass standing there that nobody was going near. So we ended up, Chris just sang. So, um, we ended up playing like, uh, dreams, go your own way, Rhiannon. And I'm just like faking it, but I could, I could play the double bass. Sure. I can, Mm. I mean, I can play electric, electric bass, but, uh, and you know, dreams is not that hard. It's two chords. Um, go your own way was pretty easy and the place was rammed and it was pretty fun. Like it was, it was pretty exciting. Like what is going on? Like, why is this happening? Why is Sloan suddenly playing Fleetwood Mac covers at this weird little Irish Mm -hmm. pub in uh, Kelowna? And, um, it's funny. I've got a bunch of photos from that night too. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty great. So Chris is good. He knows when to stop. We probably did four or five songs and then he was like all right we've we've blown minds sufficiently as he would say let's call it there and i was like yeah you know we should really do one more and he's like okay fine let's do the other man can you play it on that thing and i was like yeah yeah i can play it and it was brand new like it was probably hmm. what record is that on is that on pretty together yeah pretty good yeah yeah okay so two, year, two years old at this point this would have been act, yeah, because rest of my life was on the radio. I remember later that night we were all hanging out in a hotel room, and Jay was telling a story, and he had the radio on, and he stopped mid sentence because he was like, "Oh, check it out! Here's our new one." And just reached over and turned up the radio a little bit, and I was like, "You're so cool." <laughs> That's so. Um, but yeah, so we did the uh, we did. What did I say? The other man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did the other man, and uh, I played double bass, and I sang. I sang one of those three parts. Patrick was there, so he would have done his part. So I, I did the third. Hmm. And um, I guess, it, you know, people were going pretty nuts and like taking pictures and making lots of noise and stuff. So it was really fun. And um, we just kind of instantly hit it off and realized that we had a lot in common. And, uh, you know, I was a big fan and I, I think they appreciated that. And I uh, guess kind of liked having me around. So we were we were in the hotel room later and just staying up late and listening to the radio basically and just telling stories and stuff. And then that was kind of the end of it. I I think uh, maybe Chris or Jay gave me their email at the end of the night that night and just said, keep in touch. And so we started emailing a bit back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So if the rest of my life was on the radio, that's action packed, right? That's yeah, right. Oh three, oh four, somewhere Oh three, yeah. Okay, so then the next thing is they came to Vancouver to play a press uh, show for Action Pack. It was like just a contest winners, super super small club, um, and uh, like for a radio station. And so I went to that, and I remember that they played "Give Me That" first, and I'd never heard it before, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this kicks so much ass!" <laughs> and um, of course, Chris mentions Nickelback, and I thought that he had just done that for fun because it was Vancouver. So <laughs> at the end of the night, I was like, oh, it's so funny how you worked in Nickelback into the song. And he's like, no, dude, that's the lyric. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so fucking cool. Oh, my God, that's the best. <laughs> so we were milling around at the end of the night at the after the Action Pack show, um, and 
Chris and I were just like, you know, riffing, just like talking about Mr. Show and um, mm. talking about the Stones, you know, and, and, and just kind of egging each other on and laughing our asses off. And then we had some other mutual friends that were there, um, some friends of ours in a band called the Yoko Cassianos. Oh, right. Juice and Chad and Misty were all there. They were mm. all friends with the guys because um, they used to live in Toronto and I was friends with them and we just sort of ended up at this sort of circle and somebody floated the idea that we should all just go to their practice space mm-hmm. and just jam. And, um, like it was getting late, but, and we somehow went out for dinner in the meantime, we went out for the Thai food. Um, but we ended up going to juice and Misty's place and we got in and set everything up and we just started jamming. Um, for some reason, I think I thought I was being funny. I suggested Little Bones by the hip. <laughs> I was just like, well, we're all set up. What should we do? It's like, fuck, let's play some hip. <laughs> so I, I started playing the intro riff on guitar, and like we just, everybody just went along with it. And I was like, nice. Maybe this song actually kind of kicks ass. <laughs> And um, and we st- we did like we played like side two of Abbey Road all in one take and just just goofing off um, and egging each other on and we were up pretty late um, and it was super fun and good times were had by all and we were just getting along like best instant best friends like for all intents and purposes that was really the first extended hang like we hung in Kelowna but the this time was 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 legit and um we were like let's do this again you know let's keep in touch this is so much fun like nobody had kids yet Hmm. i guess maybe andrew did but Hmm. uh it it was you know it was we were all in our third like i was in my 20s and the guys are you know in their 30s and they could they still stayed out all night i mean they still do sometimes but um that would have been the summer of 03 i guess and then I got an email from Chris saying Sloan was coming to tour or coming to town on tour. This would still be action packed. Right. And he said in the email, we've got a night off the night before the show will be in town with nothing to do. You and the Yokos get the space set up. Let's agree on a list of songs. Let's be a cover band and let's, put together an after party like we did in Kelowna, but like way more organized. Let's pick a venue and we'll do a secret hidden after party Mm -hmm. show where we'll be the band. And I was like, this sounds awesome. So I started phoning around. I found a venue with some, a band of friends of mine who sort of basically, I think just donated their, their night. They were like, yeah, we were booked to play that night, but this sounds way better. You guys should just, <laughs> you guys should just do it. So they came to town. We set up our practice space. We had a list of like 20 songs, and we'd all done our homework. And we played a real dog's breakfast. Like I remember we did Hey Yeah by Outkast, and then we did 25 or 64 by Chicago. Like Fantastic. Just a super crazy mix of songs. We did These Eyes by the Guess Who, and we mm. did, um, um, God, just a bunch of everything. Like, just all of our favorite stuff. We did some ABBA. We did some, uh, um, oh, I, I can't think of everything, but you get the, you get the picture. Yeah. 
And we did a rehearsal and it, and it was fun. And we didn't really tell anybody, but we had this semi-secret show at this place called the Press Club, which is, I think, maybe it's called the Media Club now. It's probably gone. It's on Canby Street, not far from uh, – Sloan was playing at the Vogue Theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had Cuff the Duke on tour with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as Sloan – I went to the, see the show at the Vogue Theater um, – God, I borrowed my brother's pickup truck to help move the gear and it had a camper on the back and I parked it under a low hanging billboard and ripped the fucking roof of it off. Oh my God. And he was so fucking mad. And, um, but he forgave me pretty quick. Um, we all loaded into the media club and we set up and we just started playing and we played like a lot. Oh yeah. And we did a bunch of like David Bowie, Suffragette City. We did a bunch of, um, ACDC got in the mix somehow. We did Kiss. Uh, we did like Ladies Room by Kiss. My brother played Cowbell. Um, and we're screaming our heads off. And just hours and hours of all of our favorite, just, you know, really blowing off steam and playing just our, our favorite songs. Cuff the Duke got up and sang some Ramones songs. There's hilarious video footage somewhere of I think basically Wayne and Chris singing beat on the brat with Andrew on bass. Like okay. it was just, it was, it was so fun. I had my word at Sir piano there and we did these eyes and we did um, just so much fun stuff. But anyway, Chris and Patrick were screaming so much that they completely blew out their voices. <laughs> so, and they had a show the next night in abbotsford which if you're not from around here abbotsford is like out in the valley it's like an hour and a half outside of vancouver um and so they would sometimes do that they would play a vancouver show and then an abbotsford show um so chris called me the next the, the next day and he said he's whispering he's just like my, my voice is completely gone i cannot Shit. i can't and patrick is patrick can't sing either You've got to come to Abbotsford and sing because we, we can't cancel. Like, we've got to play. It's too late. So I was like, oh, my God. All right. So I called Juice, and they're like, bring Juice and Misty. And I was like, yeah, yeah, awesome. I, I think, I, Chad, I think all f- four of us went. Wow. So we drove out to Abbotsford, and um, bus is parked out front, and I get on the bus, and – uh, this was this was terrifying. Like Chris and Patrick, no voice. Jay and Andrew are sort of milling around, and there's they've got the set list, and they I go straight to the back lounge of the bus, and there's an acoustic guitar, and they're like, "We're on in like half an hour. Like, Jesus. what can we do?" And I'm like, "Well, I know everything. Like, so we had a little practice." in the back lounge and like Andrew, I remember was just towering, like with his arms crossed, just like looking down, just like you fucking idiots. Like this is not gonna, <laughs> you guys have blown it and we're going to look like idiots. And these guys aren't like, no one's, this isn't going to work, but I don't know. We kind of pulled it off and, mm-hmm. you know, I got to show off a little bit of my knowledge and mm. they're like, well, we do it a little bit differently live. You know, this part, and I'm like, I know, like, I know how you do it. So, they set up three more mics at the front of the stage for me and I guess Chad, I don't remember. Maybe there were four mics. Uh, sorry if you're listening, Chad and Juice and Misty. I, I, I think I remember you all being there. And like my ex-girlfriend was in the front row and she 
nobody said anything, and we all seven of us just walked on stage. And my ex girlfriend was this look on her face. I made eye contact with her, and she was just like, "What in the fuck is this? Like this doesn't <laughs> this doesn't look right." So we did a little bit of explaining, but then we just started playing a Sloan show with basically me singing mm-hmm. and um i think they got wayne up for a few as well and um but it was very cobbled together and i believe i heard later that uh the band did give the promoter a bit of a discount at the right. end of the night <laughs> because it, i think i did a pretty good job but it wasn't exactly what the uh promoter had uh paid for so mm. anyway that was super fun and i think i did pretty good and um that was going to be the end of it um you know we we kept in touch i was still on tour with my other band so i would visit with chris and jay um if i was in toronto and um they didn't really come to vancouver much i don't know if you remember like between 03 and 06 was not very active yeah, for the band. quiet time sure. yeah there were um some babies being born and um yeah some a-sides um, being re-released yeah, and I think they were sort of starting to flirt with stepping out a little bit, doing other things on their own mm-hmm. time without mm-hmm. Sloan. And um, um, Chris and I were talking quite a bit, and um, they weren't really – I don't think it's a secret. P.S., by the way, I should have said earlier that all whatever, all that I'm saying is my views and my opinions, not <laughs> um, reflective of the original four members. Um but I don't think it's a secret. They weren't exactly getting along. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of downtime and it was taking too long between records. And uh, I think Chris in particular was uh, sort of disillusioned and, and, and talking to me a lot. And he was saying, oh, fuck, you know, fuck these guys. Like, I don't know if we're going to make another record or I don't know what we're going to do. And I was like, he's like, you and me should start a new band. And I was just like, I'm not, no way, <laughs> not going to let that happen. Keep the wheels on the wagon. You guys will work it out. You'll be fine. But, uh, you know, why don't you just get me to join your band instead? And he was like, we don't need you. That's never going to happen. Stop asking. <laughs> so, but he was playing me all, he had all these demos and stuff. He had all these really cool demos. Hmm. I remember hearing a demo for your daddy will do. And I was like, that's a hit. Right. Like, that's an awesome yeah. song. Hmm. Um, he had the riff farm. CD and he yes. would show it to me and the infamous riff, riff yeah song. I got to hear a lot of that and it was always I was like you guys are the best like yeah. keep going please and um, <laughs> so that was two or three years of that um, back and forth went back oh I forgot somebody saw our cover band show in Vancouver the night that they blew out their voices and mistook us for a legitimate cover band and then actually we got an offer to play as that cover band from a guy who was booking uh, like a VIP um, staff party for Stella Artois, the beer, the mm-hmm. like, and they were having uh, this big party in Whistler and wanted us to be the the entertainment for the night, and they had an obscene amount of money. <laughs> and would we do it? And I was like, "Fuck yes, we will do it." So. This again. This is before Chris had kids. So he, I said, Chris, um, I can offer to pay you and fly you out to Vancouver for a week, and we're gonna get this gig in Whistler for crazy money. Will you do it? And he was like, Yeah, absolutely. So he flew out. 
um, stayed with me. My roommate was away, so I had a spare room. So we just hung out and um, we practiced quite a bit. And we actually, we got pretty good. Like we, mm. we were like all pretty competent players. Juice, Chad and Misty are unbelievable. And Chris is fine. And, um, <laughs> and I'm fine. And he had a must- mustache, so that was good. Um, so... Yeah, so we were spending quite a bit of time together, and I was on tour at Big John Bates. I slept on his couch, and um, uh, we talked a lot about you know his music and bands, and uh, you know Sloan's not getting along. And um, again, I don't think it's a secret, but um, um, you know they they're they were coming up on the fifteen years, and I think they you know maybe tired of each other a little bit, but you know as as anybody would. So, but obviously they've worked it out and, um, they're, they're fine. So, um, what happened then? It was May of 2006. So three years went by with no new music from Sloan. Mm -hmm. Um, and me and Chris, I guess we're talking the most. Um, so I'm just sticking around in Vancouver. I'm still playing in like eight bands. Mm. Uh, I was working at a record store, and uh i was having a really bad day uh i found out just some news that really pissed me off and i i was in a foul mood at my day job and the phone rang and it was murph and Mm -hmm. i said what like record store what do you want he's like yo it's murph and i was like oh hey what's going on and he said well um how busy are you right now and i was like you mean like music? Like, I know, of course, I'm like, oh, dude, so busy. I got so much going on. I'm like in this band. I'm like in this band. Everybody wants me. I can barely keep my fucking head on. Like, blah, blah, playing every night. I'm the coolest dude in town. And so Chris was like, oh. He's like, well, I was going to see if maybe you thought you would want to take a shot at maybe trying out for playing with us. But it sounds like you're pretty busy. And I was like, I can do it. I'm not busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah those plans <laughs> i'm i'm very very interested and very available and he was like well we're just trying this out here don't get too excited <laughs> and i was like i know i know i know and he's like this is a long shot who knows if this is going to work but we've crazy. got this new record and it's got tons of piano on it and so we want to try the fifth guy thing so i said sure yeah great he said Mike will send you the details. He'll send you the a CD of the new music. You know, keep in touch, but uh, don't quit your day job. Basically, so right. I said, all right. So that was never here. The end of it. I got a CDR in the mail, and um, yeah, it had thirty songs. And this would have been this was May or June right, of so. '06, yeah. and it came out in September. That's right. So I had about three months. Okay. And um, lots of emails, lots of phone calls. And it was just like, you're coming on this tour and we'll take it from there. Like it was unofficial. I still have the email that just basically says under no circumstances is this an offer or guarantee of any work in the future. Right. You are being hired for this tour and um, – you know, well, you're getting paid this much and we'll see if you don't, if you manage to not piss everybody off, um, you know, we'll see, but, um, it was just on a handshake. So 
um, I got to work. I started learning the songs, and I had to sort of re-up my familiarity with the previous records as well. Yeah, right. I mean, I knew them pretty well, but there's not a ton of piano on the old stuff. But that's right. Yeah. Although weirdly, there's lots on Navy Blues, which I didn't notice until much later. Right. Um. So yeah, that was that was it. I I uh, I the arrangements were made. Uh, I was booked on a flight. Um, we were going to start rehearsals in September on September 1st, which gave us 19 days to learn 30 songs. (laughs) And like, I'd never spent much time in Toronto. Like it was, it was pretty wild. Like I was living, uh, in a little two bedroom apartment on main street. Um, but I, uh, I, for the first so that was, yeah, that was never hit the end of it for that first tour. So hmm. I learned the songs and um, got on a plane. So I was staying in Mike's kitchen and um, we basically, I met up with Chris the first night and we went to the space and we were just like, well, how are we doing this? Like, what are, are we seriously going to like, and I, oh, and I'd shipped all my gear too. Like, hmm. I had shipped, oh my God, I'd shipped my Wurlitzer piano. I had shipped like a Leslie speaker that didn't belong to me. I had, I had borrowed it from my buddy Dave Gen and I didn't tell him. I think I had abandoned it at one point. Oh God, I was such an asshole. I, he's got it back and it's fine now. But um, I, yeah, I, I had a buddy work for Canada and he got me a deal on cargo and I'd, I'd shipped like a whole pallet, like, like probably a thousand pounds worth of shit in all of his flight cases. And, um, luckily they, they let me set it all up and Jay was just like, it looks cool. Like, (laughs) you know, it's all, it's all wood and Chrome. Like it's all vintage gear and stuff. But, um, uh, so we played like who taught it lived like that. And, um, I guess we played flying high again and, and Patrick got there late and we did, uh, I think we maybe barfed through I understand or something mm-hmm. like that, but mm-hmm. it was, um, it fell into place pretty quick and, uh, we were all getting along of course. And, um, you know, initially I think a big part of my job, you know how you sort of behave better when there's a new person in the room. Right. Like mm-hmm. I think I, I was definitely a buffer for those guys. Cause at 15 years, you know, they're strong personalities and they're all equal, um, shareholders. So, um, it, they're stuck with each other. So, right. uh, at first they were all on their best behavior around me. Of course that wore off pretty quick and then they had to get Kevin Hilliard involved so that they'd have another new face and then that wore off. So they got Jay Coyle <laughs> and then that wore off, but they're, um, they're no, they're the best. They're the best bunch of dudes. I should have said that already, as I'm sure you know. You guys have spent enough. It's time. It's apparent for our listeners. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um. So that was it. We were off to the races. The first show was the day after my 26th birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, my birthday is September 18th, and we played the Lula Lounge on September 19th. That's right. Um, and then we played Kingston at AJ's yep. Hangar. Total shithole. And then we yep. had a day off, and then the third show we opened for the Rolling Stones. Oh my god! <laughs> and so I was like, "This is awesome. This is gonna, this, it's gonna be like this forever." Yeah. 
this trajectory can't slow down. And then the fourth show we played, like the Savoy Theater in Glace Bay, Nova Scotia, <laughs> which is like like seventy people and like soft cedar and like and my the Stones thing was amazing. My parents flew out. My brother was there. Nice. Everyone had their parents there. Like Chris's parents were there. Andrew's mom was there. Like yeah, and like Kanye West was on the bill. Alice Cooper was on the bill. Trailer Park Boys were all there hanging out and catering mm. and stuff. Jeez. And mm. it was uh, it was a shock for sure. Like Lula mm. Lounge, my first show, it was stressful. Sure. It was it was hot. I wore like a wool, pea, like a pea coat, like buttoned mm. up on stage. Mm. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. But like the first thing we did, we played Flying High again. And were either of you guys there? Yeah, uh, Lula Lounge. I watched the live stream because I had just moved to Toronto and I didn't know where the fucking Lula Lounge was. So I just oh, like, yeah. I watched that. I Me watched, neither. There was a live stream. I watched that online. There was a live stream of Lula Lounge. Yeah, it's um. There are still videos of it online. I remember. I remember yeah. at the uh, at the at the end of another way I could do it because uh, the audience obviously didn't know the record yet. I, I don't no. know if it was just out or maybe about to come out it might have been the day it came it out was yeah. the, it was that day yeah and you guys blasted a ton of new songs and at the end of that the song it, it's got this incredible ending to that song and i read the it hey and, no 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 thing yeah well the whole end like the last minute of the song is insane and uh chris is blowing his voice and he then he puts down the the bass and he goes uh now you can go get the record and and be impressed by how well we nailed that or something like that oh. you know, like <laughs> <laughs> classic chris yeah i'm not sure we nailed it that hard um We'd really bit off more than we could chew. Like I think we played twenty three of the thirty new songs that night. Like we didn't do. I know we didn't do light years. We didn't do listen to the radio, but uh, and I don't think we did um, last time in love. I think we've still never. That's the only one we've never ever played that one. And I think Mm. I think someone hates someone hates that one and as kind of fought to keep it off the set list i'm not going to say who right but um yeah that was it was really scary and it was stressful and my hands were definitely shaking but uh it uh i mean how would i even i mean that's 15 years ago now like i know i can remember it because it was a it was a big deal for me at the time but uh it was it was terrifying so just my impression i was at the kingston show the next day um, yeah and the um there there were the series of never see the end of it videos that were being released up until the release of the album yeah and i know i know one of the last ones was oh we flew this guy in from vancouver it's you know this is great he's gonna play with us now by the yeah. way he's gonna beef yeah. up our sound and so i i was aware that there was gonna be a new guy on stage by the time i'd seen you i think it was on the 20th or the 19th um yeah. and uh i was not you know it it sounded na- natural. No, it. I was. It sounded natural from the get go. It sounded. It sounded like the album. The album had been out for a day. I listened to it, uh, probably about four or five times on the okay. on, on the trip down. Cool. Uh, and uh, and it was so for me. The 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 most striking impression was their sound. Their live sound is now finally complete, and it's finally, you know, uh, true to what you're hearing on record. Sure. So, you know, you wouldn't have noticed from a from a fan's perspective uh, coming to the okay. second show on that tour. And I remember the the Cassionos being great opening. Yeah, um, they were they were awesome. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's the first thing I did because, like, okay, we're all friends here. We're all we're all fans. 
let's and it's no secret they weren't very good for a while there. <laughs> like if you went to see them live, if nope. you saw Sloan live between about ninety nine and two thousand and three, um, I think they had really started kind of phoning it in a little bit. And they, I think they will admit this. I don't think I'm saying anything out of turn, but they they were not very good for a while. And they were um, they were tuning down as well to E flat so that it was easier to sing. And they were kind of playing slow and it just sounded yeah. like they were like their batteries were dying. Yeah. And I just, I love the songs. I love the band. And I'm just like, guys, that's not the way they're supposed to sound. Like, nope. please play them in the right key. And so mm-hmm. the first thing I did when I, when I showed up, I will give them credit and I'll give myself credit. I said, you're not tuning down anymore. We're playing everything right. in the right key right. from now on. And they that said, that was okay, action packed. This is now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, I think they, they listened to me. They knew that I sort of felt strongly about it. And, right. um, I, I just, I said, that's it. You're not tuning down a, a, a anymore. It sounds like shit. Mm. Uh, and they were like, Oh, okay. Okay. So I really wanted them to sort of get back to the, the way that the records sound. And sure. That was a big part of my job, especially for never hear the end of it. There's a lot of, um, a lot of piano and stuff. Um, so yeah, that first Lula Lounge show was insane. I don't remember AJ's hangar at all. I'm sorry if we met Ken. I'm, uh, I, we didn't, I, but um, okay. you might you might recall it was Patrick's birthday, and Chris had him on stage in front of the entire crowd try to mimic a guitar solo in the style of all the decades that he'd been alive. But instead <laughs> of stopping at the '60s, he went right back to the '30s. So <laughs> Patrick, oh, <laughs> Patrick had to like try to do. Like a Django Reinhardt style solo or something. Perfect. Classic Chris. Let's make sure we just run this elaborate joke as to its extreme into the ground. And it could have been funny, but we yeah. kept going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris is good for that. I mean, he, he's, he, he's so good at like making fusses over people, you know, like he, um, he uh, just has so much love and has mm. got a big heart and he, he it's always in the right place. <laughs> and it, yeah. oh, if it doesn't always translate, yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't ever come from a place of, you know, being mean or anything. Um, so yeah, that AJ's show, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember the day off, but I definitely remember the stones and that was just like, Oh my God, was that ever like just unbelievable. And they were so cool. Like they let us walk around on the stage before and like check out all their guitars and gear and stuff. And I was like, I was over on stage, uh, stage right. And there's this massive guitar rack with like 40 guitars. Mm. And I was like, um, Oh, is this Keith's shit? And he's like, no, 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 this is Ron's, uh, guitars. Keith's over there. And he pointed to the stage left, I guess. And, uh, there's there's three guitars yeah. on a little boat thing and it's like two black tellies and like maybe a third sort of three thirty five type thing. And it was like three guitars whole show and I was like and whereas Ron's got like forty. <laughs> and I was like, Of course, of course Keith only has three guitars. Awesome. And I'll never forget the the first song was Sympathy for the Devil mm. and Ron Wood came out with like this white leather jacket with tassels and fringe on it. And he kinda doesn't play at the beginning. He um, comes in with a guitar solo, like, you know, that like yeah, that wicked yeah, solo that yeah, comes in. Yeah. 
And so he didn't do anything for the first minute or so. Hasn't played a note yet. And he already, he took his guitar off, took his jacket off, changed into a different jacket, <laughs> put the guitar back on, lit a cigarette, took a drag, one drag off the cigarette and flicked it and then launched into the solo. And I was That's just awesome. like, you got to be kidding me. It was like, <laughs> oh, it's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like, and it was pouring rain and we were all standing they were cool. They let us stand like pretty much on the side of the stage. I think we had to buy tickets, but they still they they let us have lots of access. And uh, um, uh, at one point, uh, Mick goes into a speech, and he's like, "Oh, yeah, thank you. You know, we love Canada." Like they never say they don't know what city they're in. They always right. just say Canada. <laughs> thank you, Canada. And like um, he said a few things, and then he's like. Um, He's like, I'd like to thank uh, Kanye West and Alice Cooper for playing with us today, but he didn't say Sloan. <laughs> and I'm standing right next to Chris, and we got all of our parents there and stuff. And there, he, Mick took a breath and waited a beat, and Chris said, he turned around and he said, if he says thank you, Sloan, I'm giving everybody here $1,000. And then nothing happened, and then Mick just says, in it, in it, he didn't, after he thanked Kanye and Alice, he... he then separately thanked Sloan. Does he just go, thank you, Sloan? And like, um, maybe he'd done his research and knew they were like a hometown kind of band or something, but like, they got a pretty big cheer. And Chris was just absolutely reduced. Holy like, fuck. he was a fucking pile of rubble. Like, I've never seen him so stoked. And he never gave us a thousand dollars. He didn't have to. It was, it was just, it was beyond thrilling. And like, my parents were just like so stoked. And like, I remember showing my dad around backstage at catering, and there's like giant platters piled with like lobster tails and stuff. And, mm. and he, dad was kind of checking out his red carpet everywhere. And he's like, he's looking at me, he's kind of nodding and like gave me a little thumbs up. He's like, this is this isn't too bad, you know? You might have, been, you might have been right after all to do this stupid music thing. You know, I think my parents were secretly hoping I would get a real job at some point, but yeah. uh, they figured out that wasn't going to happen, and they gave me their full support. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was that was the Never Hear the End of It tour, and we all got along real good and had some laughs and played some good shows. And then uh, the tour ended in uh, Edmonton, and it was on Halloween. Mm-hmm. And the Sadies were in town, and I think we went to go and see them. And then I had this big idea. Since everyone was flying home, um, I w- they were just dropping me off. What was their deal? I think they were going to spend the night, or no, I was going to spend the night. Anyway, we were we were going our separate ways. I still lived in BC. They all had to get back to Toronto, so. Um, they they dumped me like at a husky on the side of the road. I think my plan was I was going to spend the night in Edmonton. That's right. I was going to spend the night in Edmonton and then I was going to go to LA the next day and they were all getting on a plane that night to go back to Toronto, I think. So I had this very unceremonious husky gas station side of the road, get the fuck out. And I didn't know if I was ever going to see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I didn't feel like going home. I, I went down to LA to visit some friends and just kind of crash and be a bum for a week and kind of decompress. You know, I was, I was single and 26. I was just like, 
you know, and I'd been, I'd made some money and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this party going. So I, I went down and crashed with my buddy Butch in LA for a week and we, uh, just absolutely had a gas down there. And then I mm. flew home, I guess this would be November of 06. And then I still lived in Vancouver for, uh, I guess about another year. So I did some fly out stuff. I did some one-offs. They did a New Year's Eve thing without me, I think, um, just because it was going to be cost prohibitive, and mm-hmm. it was, they were just going to—they weren't going to—they weren't going to do, you know, a bunch of new stuff. They were just going to go and play like half an hour somewhere. And mm-hmm. um, so I was thinking about making the move, and I was kind of ready to make the move, and kept talking about it, but I didn't really. No, I wanted to do it. I wanted to go, but. Again, this was still all kind of on a handshake. We didn't know um, what the future held. So I guess um, what finally happened, I guess I just kind of, I was in Toronto and I was looking around and I had some friends that lived there and I'd started looking at apartments actually. And I just said, okay, fuck it. I'm going to do it. So I I rented an apartment and put um, some gear on a plane and, put some gear in storage and <clears throat> thought I'd try it out for a little while. And I remember I moved into my buddy's place and then I got settled. And then the next day I called one of them. I forget who, but I, I was like, I'm here. Check it out. I live in Toronto. This would have been <laughs> September. This is September of 07. All right. And, um, I said, when's the next gig? And they were like, uh like maybe april <laughs> like we we might do some stuff next summer i don't know and i was just like oh my god what the hell have i done like i had a thousand bucks in my pocket mm. and no job no prospects like no nothing and uh i just i called my parents and i was like what have i like i fuck i might have fucked this up but they were like no don't be silly you'll be fine. Just, you know, figure it out. So, I mean, I had a few friends and I started dicking around a bit. Um, and I started going to the Dakota Tavern. It was brand new. Mm. And, um, I was basically hung out there like five nights a week and got to know everybody in the scene pretty quick. And then Carolyn Mark came to town. Mm. Uh, my friend from Victoria who I've been in her band for years and she played at the Dakota. And I guess I, sat in with her. Uh, I must've played either drums or piano. I can't remember. Maybe a bit of both. But anyway, I got, my phone rang the next day and it was Jason Collette. Who he, I don't know if you guys know who he is. It, he's uh, an awesome dude and a, you know, in the arts and crafts, broken social scene family and right. makes his own uh, records uh, as a great uh, singer songwriter in his own way. And he just called me out of the blue and said, yo, uh, you don't know me, but I saw you play at the Dakota last night and I think we would get along and I'm looking for a piano player. Um, what do you think? And I was like, fucking how about, yeah. So he, um, he was kind of losing his band, uh, to Feist. Mm -hmm. Um, the main guy, I guess was Afy who was in Jay Collette's band as, uh, his guitar player. So what, what was happening, I guess, was his piano player, Mike, was switching to guitar to replace Afy. 
and I was going to fill in on piano for Mike. So, um, pretty quickly I, uh, you know, got another gig and was on the road with Jay Collette and, um, we had some great times, an amazing band, his band, uh, eventually turned into Zeus. Um, so it's Robbie Drake and, uh, Neil Quinn, all those guys were in Jay Collette's band. Um, so I got a real treat, um, playing with those guys, just the best dudes. And, um, of course we had, yeah, the golden dogs were on tour with us as well. Mm. I spent a lot of time hanging out with them. They have a bit of crossover and Taylor Knox, you know, we became buddies and Taylor actually filled in for Andrew once when Andrew had a broken rib, um, at a gig in Ottawa. And so it was another nice little, um, circle of friends that welcomed me in um, as one of their own. You know, I, I always felt a little bit like an outsider just being the only guy from BC because these guys are all kind of Ontario and like new, you know, just knew way more like, like Carlin is so good at like just playing like, like sort of Ontario rock. You know what I mean? Like mm. it's just, it's different. It's, mm. they could play anything and they like know all the Neil Young and like, um, I just, I, I always felt like a little bit of an imposter around those guys. Um, um, but they were very sweet and, you know, we were a good band. Like we played, we went South by Southwest and we played, we played like good shows and, and, uh, but, and they always knew that I was still committed to Sloan. Um, right. but our schedules lined up for a while, but after a couple of years, it was just one too many conflicts and they were just yeah. like, okay, you're fired. So, um, Sloan has has been my full time gig really since uh, well since '06, but it it became a little more official when I moved, and then um, you know then eventually they let me they started to let me play on the records. <laughs> All right, Ken, I gotta say, man, I've been really enjoying this interview. How about you? Yeah, man. Uh, story time with with Uncle Greg, and uh, I'm you know I'm afraid we're gonna have to make the cut uh, for today because this is turning into a three hour uh, three hour story time here. So let's make the cut here and get you guys to jump back on board for part two with Gregory McDonald. That's right. We'll see you in the next episode, everybody. Keep slowing. <laughs>